Good morning, and happy Sabbath to all of you. I guess I should introduce myself. I think most of you know me, but for those who don't, uh, my name is Judy Lowe. I've been coming to TAF for a long time. In fact, my husband and I were charter members, or are charter members of this church, and we love it here. I must say I'm a little nervous. I've never done this before, but I'm talking to friends, right? So uh, this, what I'm going to talk to you about today is a lot about my husband, Jerry. I think all of you know him, too. He runs around here introducing himself as J-Lo. So that's him. <laughs> so for about the past two years, any time that someone other than Matt got up to speak, like Marilee, Jim, Andrea, Carrie, I would think, I really need to share my story. I need to start working on it. And then I would go home Sabbath afternoon and just kind of forget about it until the next time someone else spoke. So like I said, this had been going on for about two years, and the last time that Carrie spoke, I talked to her about this thought in my head after church, and that this thought just wouldn't go away. And she said, you just have to get started. So I went home that Sabbath afternoon and started writing. I know without a doubt that the Holy Spirit was urging me to tell my story. Actually, this is mine and Jerry's story, but more than that, it's God's story. Jerry has told his version several times, but today, for the first time, I'm telling my side of our story. It's pretty amazing. Uh, this, this really is an experience of, of praise for me. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this Sabbath day. We thank you that we can come before you in worship we are thankful that you are here with us. We know that where two or more are gathered together, you are here. And I just pray that my words will be your words. This really is your story, not actually mine. But thank you, God, and please be with us this day. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's read together Jeremiah 29, 11 to 13. Most of you probably know this promise by heart. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So this passage is saying that God basically is in control of everything in our lives. He has a plan for us, and he's in control. He has everything planned out. There are many texts in the Bible that say this, and sometimes I think of God as a conductor. I'm speaking of a musical conductor. And what is a conductor exactly? Um, Webster's defines it as the leader of a musical ensemble. Well, that sounds pretty simple, right? I actually have a cousin who is an orchestra conductor, and he travels the world working with different orchestras. And by the way, I got none of that musical DNA. None. I asked him to explain to me what being a conductor entails. It's anything but simple. It's amazing the parallels between what a conductor does for the orchestra and what Jesus does for us. And here's what my cousin had to say. The main purpose of a conductor is to enable the musicians whom he or she is conducting to fulfill to their greatest potential the will of the conductor concerning how the music is performed. The conductor does this by listening to every sound from every musician, both for quality and timing. So the conductor is both leading and responding at all times. 
the conductor will not ask a player to do something that is contrary to the written score. A conductor does not fire a player for mistakes in rehearsal, but does expect players to respond to the conductor's correction and inspiration. A good conductor will always share his or her own passion with the players in a way that makes them want to give their best efforts. A conductor will lead musicians to understand and appreciate the music in new ways and to find beauties in it that they didn't even know were there. Stephen White. Isn't that incredible? I just found that incredible. It's a lot like our relationship with Jesus. He's the conductor and we are the musicians. So let's start at the beginning of my story. Jerry and I met in 1983. Yes, we are that old. I was only 16 and he was 19. We lived in the same rural county in Virginia but went to different high schools. Um, this picture was actually used as our engagement picture. We dated, sometimes on and off, for five years. On a hot summer evening in 1988, we were married. Can you believe that's us? <laughs> we don't look like that anymore. We were very happy and pretty carefree, not too serious about life. Jerry had been raised as a Methodist and I as an Adventist, but we weren't really thinking about church and all that when we first got married. We were just having fun, living life, having a good time. That was really our main focus. We were just into having a good time, partying with friends, just doing whatever. After a couple of years, we decided we wanted to start a family, and in September of 1991, our daughter Lauren was born. Isn't she cute? <laughs> Not surprisingly, her entrance into the world made us start thinking about life differently. It was no longer all about having a good time and just doing whatever. We had a child to raise, and all of a sudden, life was a little more serious and also more wondrous at the same time. Anyone who's a parent knows exactly what I'm talking about. She was the most perfect little baby you've ever seen. We were in love at first sight, so we went about our lives adjusting to being brand new parents, making a lot of mistakes, and learning a lot. And she's still alive today, in spite of us newbies. She's sitting right back there. She truly is still surviving. I knew right away I wanted another baby in a couple of years. Shortly after Lauren was born, Jerry started noticing that he had a couple of fingers just randomly tingling and going numb. We really didn't think much about it. He was playing basketball with friends about once a week, and when he was playing, his whole hand would go numb. So he went to see our family doctor who put him on an anti-inflammatory and told him to follow up. In a couple of weeks, it was no better, so the doctor ordered a CT scan. Okay, no big deal. Still, we didn't really think much about it. A couple of days later, the doctor called Jerry and wanted him to come into the office earlier than expected. That's usually not a good thing, but we didn't know it at the time. So not thinking much about it, Jerry went to the doctor's office by himself. And there the doctor sat him down and told him, Jerry, you have cancer. We don't really know what kind it is yet, but it's cancer. The scan showed it was everywhere, all over his chest, abdomen, and pelvis. Wow. Jerry called me at work. He was very upset and told me he needed me to come home right away. And on that drive home, I tried to imagine what could be going on. He wouldn't tell me on the phone what was going on. He wanted me to, he wanted to tell me in person. So my mind thought about many scenarios on that drive, but never cancer. He sat me down and told me, I have cancer. I said, I just cried. And I said, but we need you. Lauren and I need you. 
I cannot even begin to tell you how terrified I was. Jerry was 27, I was 25, and our beautiful baby girl was just 10 weeks old. We had just celebrated Thanksgiving and counted all our abundant blessings, and now I felt like I was walking through a fog, like I had been shaken up in a snow globe, and the rug had really been pulled out from under me. It was very surreal. It was like I couldn't believe it was happening. That night, after Lauren was asleep in her crib, I slipped into her room, and I knelt by her bed, and I was sobbing. I cried out to God and begged him to please save Jerry's life. I could not fathom my life without him. No way. Jerry had his own God moment too, but that's part of his version of our story. The rest of that week involved many tests, scans, and lab work. That Friday, we met with an oncologist for the first time. It was determined that Jerry had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and it was stage four. There are only four stages and he was already in the last one. We were terrified. The doctor wanted to start chemo that day. We had a lot of questions, as you can imagine. One of our questions was, can we have more children? And we were informed that would probably never happen after Jerry received chemo. So we weren't sure what to do. Were there other options? Should we wait to begin treatment? Should we get a second opinion? We asked for a little time to decide, and the doctor granted our request. I went into the restroom, went into a stall, and got on my knees and again cried out to God. What should we do? We, we want another baby, God, but I can't lose Jerry. This is not how the plan was supposed to go. And what do we do? And while I was kneeling on the bathroom tile, this thought came into my mind very clearly. Go ahead and start treatment. I will take care of the rest. So I got off my knees. I found Jerry and I said, I think we just need to get this started. We can adopt a baby later if we want. God's taking care of us. That was absolutely God talking to me, I have no doubt. Jerry told his oncologist he was ready to get started. I could actually see the relief on the doctor's face, and Jerry had his first chemo treatment that day. Jerry had chemo every Monday for six months. He had just about every side effect you can think of. He had a lot of nausea, vomiting, severe fatigue, chills, fevers. His white count dropped to a dangerous level. We quickly figured out we could only take this one day at a time, and that's how we dealt with the situation we found ourselves in. Any more than one day was too much. Jerry was in and out of the hospital a lot. The cancer center, the cancer center hospital was over an hour away. So when he was in the hospital, after work, I would drive to see him one evening and my parents would take care of Lauren. The next evening after work, I would stay home with her. And that's how we managed hospital stays. Meanwhile, Lauren was growing like crazy and changing every day. She was truly a wonderful blessing during this time she gave us something wondrous to focus on. Jerry continued to work whenever he could. He had chemo on Mondays, and he was usually back to work on Wednesday or Thursday. He had an amazing positive attitude during all this. I really don't know how he would have dealt with the seriousness of the situation if he had been sad and negative. Occasionally, he would have a few down days. That was really odd, very unlike him, but thankfully, that didn't happen often. We knew this was all in God's hands. I have to admit, though, I had my moments. I would find myself thinking about life without Jerry, what that would be like, raising Lauren by myself. I even sort of had a funeral planned in my head. That sounds really morbid, but that's what I thought about sometimes. 
During this time, there were hundreds, and I mean hundreds, of people praying for us. We were on numerous prayer lists, and we could feel God all around us. After six months of chemo were over, Jerry had scans repeated. We waited for results very anxiously. You can imagine how anxious we were. We got the best news ever. Jerry was in remission, and we thank God over and over. This beach picture was taken after he was short, very shortly after he was done with chemo. This crazy chapter was behind us. We could get back to normal now. About a month or so later, Jerry's oncologist called. He had discussed Jerry's case with his colleagues, and it was determined that Jerry's cancer would very likely come back. So they were suggesting that he have a bone marrow transplant at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in Boston. When he called me at work and told me this, I just broke down and sobbed. I thought this was over. What in the world, God? Boston? We were a couple of kids from the country, and this was all beyond intimidating. But off to Boston we went for a consultation. We learned a lot about traveling to Boston on that first of many trips. I am positive God was watching over us. It was determined that Jerry would indeed benefit from a bone marrow transplant, so plans were put into motion. He was a candidate for an autologous transplant, which means they would use his own bone marrow. His cancer was never in his bone marrow. So in October, we went back to Boston, and they harvested approximately one liter of Jerry's bone marrow. I have a real funny story about him passing out in the bathroom. <laughs> we'll save that for another time. We went back to Virginia to await an opening for the transplant. We were assigned a social worker in Boston. I knew I was going with Jerry and would be there the entire time, which was estimated would be about six weeks. I told the social worker there was no way I, there was no way I could be gone for six weeks and leave my baby girl at home. Lauren was 14 months old by now. She reassured me that Lauren could come with us a place for us to stay would be found. There were so many God moments during all of this. So in November, we got the call that Jerry was to be admitted the week before Thanksgiving. He flew to Boston on a Thursday, and Lauren, Jerry's mother, Glenda, and I went the very next day. Glenda went so she could stay with Lauren while I was with Jerry. The social worker was hard at work. Dana-Farber had two apartments for transplant families within walking distance of the hospital. We were only there a few days when one became available. God again. It was a little one-bedroom apartment fully furnished for only $200 a month. It was a godsend. And this, this is a picture of Lauren in our little apartment we, we stayed in. I would go see Jerry every morning, and then Glenda would spend the afternoon with him. Lauren was not allowed on his floor at all, and Jerry missed her terribly. Many events happened during Jerry's stay there, as you might imagine. I won't go into all of that today, maybe a speech for another time. The night before Thanksgiving, Jerry got his bone marrow back. He had received a lot of chemo and full body irradiation before this. There were several doctors and nurses in the room, and so was I. Jerry was very groggy, but one of the doctors said, as the bone marrow was beginning to infuse into his vein, Jerry, wake up, this is your life. His bone marrow was in a little IV bag, which I still have, and I'll always keep it. Jerry pretty much breezed through his bone marrow transplant, if there is such a thing. Now, don't get me wrong, he had some rough days. He wouldn't eat anything but Jell-O and Captain Crunch cereal. <laughs> he sent me to the store after it. 
But he was young and strong, which was very much in his favor. His body began producing white blood cells again very quickly. And just in 23 days, we were on our way home. This picture is in the apartment before we left Boston. This was the first time Jerry and Lauren saw each other after his bone marrow transplant. And you just see the happiness on their faces. But we made it home in time for Christmas. And Jerry's co-workers completely took care of us that Christmas. This is him with his Boston Cheers shirt on, acting very silly, very typical for Jerry. As anybody that knows him knows this is very Jerry. It was just amazing, all the love that poured out for us. I remember very distinctly having a wonderful Christmas meal with family at my parents' house. Again, God. By March, Jerry was back at work. Another thing, now get this, his job continued to pay him 60% of his salary the entire time he was gone. They didn't have to do that. We heard later that the plant manager insisted on this. Life slowly got back to normal. Jerry was working, Lauren was growing, and I went to nursing school. That was a wild ride, a true exercise in faith. The local Seventh-day Adventist minister began coming to our house and giving us Bible studies. With all the miracles God had performed in our lives, we knew our hearts belonged to him completely. Long story short, we decided to join the local Adventist church, the same church I grew up in. We were baptized together and started a new way of life with Jesus. Not long after this, I really started thinking about and wanting another baby. Jerry and I talked about it. Having another one just wasn't going to happen. Several ladies at our church were pregnant with their second babies, and I couldn't help feeling envious. And I know that may sound trivial with all that God had done for us. That's very true. But in that moment, at that time... I really was grieving for that second pregnancy I knew I would never have. It truly was a loss to me. We prayed a lot about this situation. Well, my sister and her husband had adopted two children from Korea, so we were very familiar with the concept of adoption. Our whole family was nuts about these kids, so we knew if we adopted a child, they would be accepted immediately as a bona fide family member. We started looking into adoption further and soon started a home study with an adoption agency. This was a huge undertaking, and Jerry did 90% of this as I was still in nursing school. Let me just say, if you don't really want a baby, you're not going to go through with this process. We decided we wanted to adopt from Russia. Again, this is a longer story for another day, but we had very specific reasons to adopt internationally. I graduated from nursing school in May, and we got an adoption referral in June. There was a little guy in Smolensk, Russia, who was referred to us. This is actually one of the pictures that was sent with his referral in the packet to us uh, in the orphanage with a caretaker. He was just six months old. We accepted the referral and began waiting impatiently to go to Russia. We started preparing for his arrival like crazy. We were absolutely over the moon. We were, I was buying stuff and packing stuff, and Jerry's family had never experienced adoption before, and they were a little cautious about this crazy idea of us going halfway around the world to get a baby. Lauren was now four years old, and we talked about her new brother all the time. So in September of 1996, Jerry and I flew to Moscow. I could talk for another two hours about our experience there, but we'll do that another time. This is a picture of us in Red Square at St. Basil's Cathedral. Pretty amazing to stand in the middle of Red Square. 
Um, very long story short, we met our son Landon on September 5th in an orphanage. He was tiny, wiggly, pale, but we thought he was absolutely beautiful. We returned to the orphanage the next day, and he went back to, back to Moscow with us. We flew home three days later with this gift from God and began life as a family of four. And those cautious family members, it was love at first sight. Let me just say, Landon was an adorable, blonde-headed little pistol. This boy was off the charts. He quickly gained weight. He was only 14 pounds at eight and a half months, and he ate more than an adult. I am not kidding about that. He became stronger and soon started crawling all over the place. Even as a baby, he had an incredible will to survive. Lauren didn't know what in the world had happened. <laughs> we soon learned he was the most determined kid we had ever seen. He still is, and today this determination has taken him far in his life. I can honestly say I have a miracle family. It was a miracle that Jerry survived. His oncologist actually told his mom that Jerry was a walking miracle. The doctor also told us it was pretty miraculous that we had Lauren. Jerry was sick before she was ever conceived, and we had no idea. Jerry's mom called Lauren the miracle baby, and it was an absolute God thing that Landon became part of our family. He could have ended up anywhere in the world, but God gave him to us. We never really questioned why Jerry had cancer. It was truly terrifying. For years, we were scared to death every time he had a CT scan or an MRI. We were so scared his cancer would be back. But 31 years later, this man was still by my side. And last summer, we celebrated our 33rd wedding anniversary. And two and a half years ago, he walked our miracle baby girl down the aisle. I thank God for the life he has given us. We could have never imagined anything so wonderful. And we have come to the point now that we are actually thankful that Jerry had cancer. Now, let me say that again. We are thankful that Jerry had cancer. And how can I say such a crazy thing? There are several reasons. Jerry's cancer diagnosis made us realize we needed God, that all things come through him, and we realized we wanted to serve him the rest of our lives. Also, we would not have our son Landon if cancer hadn't happened. Sure, we would have had another baby, but it wouldn't have been this baby, and our lives would not have been the same without this boy. Sometimes I think about what my life would have been like if Jerry hadn't made it. I would have raised my little girl by myself. I can't imagine how hard that would have been. I can't imagine all the things that Lauren would have missed about Jerry, and I would have never known my son, which I can't even fathom. But I know without a doubt, God would have led me every step of the way. But thank you, Jesus, God had a different plan for our family. This is our entire family just a couple of weeks ago. Aren't they beautiful? This is my sweet, precious family that God gave me. But everyone's story doesn't turn out like this. Loved ones die, cancer kills, car accidents happen, drug overdoses happen, COVID attacks without discrimination, young women become widows every single day. What about them? Why doesn't God provide a miracle for everybody? I don't have the answer to that question, but I do know that God is there for those individuals just the same. He is walking beside them just the same. And how do I know this? There are many wonderful, beautiful promises in the Bible. Here are just a few. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3, 16. Let's turn to Revelation 21, 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Isaiah 25, 8 says, He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. I love how it says that God himself will wipe away our tears. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? 1 Corinthians 15, 55. And my personal favorite promise in the Bible, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will descend with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. No matter who you have lost, or how many, or how young they were taken from you, you will see them again in heaven and spend eternity with them. Listen to this. Your prayers may not be fulfilled on this earth, but they will be in heaven. You may not be with your loved ones now, but you will be together in heaven for eternity. So I'm asking you today, please put your trust in the great conductor. <laughs> 